So get the context of what's going on here. The first of chapter 13, you've got to understand that Israel split up. The nation, the nation of Israel split up. The kingdom is split into two different kings, and they have two different kings. And King Jeroboam, he realizes that he doesn't have Jerusalem in his part of the kingdom. And he, uh, he knows that God has told them to go sacrifice in Jerusalem. So he says, you know what? If they go sacrifice in Jerusalem, pretty soon they're just going to kill me. And they're just going to take, uh, take him as king. And I, I won't be a king anymore. So what Jeroboam does is he just decides to create his own place to sacrifice there in Bethel. He creates his own altar. And he makes these golden calves. Does this sound familiar? He makes these golden calves, and he said, These are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. Now, does that sound familiar? That's exactly what Aaron did when Moses didn't show up out of the Mount Sinai. So he tells them, These are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. He makes these golden cows, these golden calves, and he makes them play, he makes everybody start sacrificing. So they start sacrificing there at Dan and Bethel, which is against what God said. And they've been doing this for a while. And Jeroboam happens to be at one of his altars he's made, and he's there sacrificing to these false gods. And there we go in verse 1 in chapter 13. Let's see what happens. And behold, there came a man of God. <laughs> I love that. When you walk into a place, do they say, here comes a man or a woman of God? I sure hope they do. Do they look at you enough to know that you're a man or a woman of God? Man, it's getting quiet in here. <laughs> Man, surely they know you go to church, amen. I mean, if they go by your house this morning, they're not going to find you there, right? Right, okay. Uh, do they ever see you reading the Bible? Do they ever hear you talking about the Lord? Do they ever hear you uh, do anything that has to do with God? Surely they know that you're a Christian, right? You ever invited them to church? or and, and invite, Hey, come on down to church, come down. Have you ever did? Do they know you're a man or woman of God? Well, here comes a man of God. It's real obvious, okay? And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah, by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. So Jeroboam's minding his own business. And here comes this man of God, verse 2. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord. And why is that important that he cried in the word of the Lord? Because what he's about to say is not his opinion. This is not this man of God's opinion. This isn't this man of God's ideas. This is what the Lord has to say about the thing, okay? So what he's saying is he's crying there. It says he cried, and he says he, he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord. In other words, he used the word of the Lord, which is what you have in your lap this morning if you have your Bible open. And I encourage you to open up a Bible. We're going to read through this whole chapter 13 together. And he cried in the word of the Lord, not in his own opinions, but in the word of the Lord. And this is what he said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. He prophesies in the name of the Lord, and this prophecy he gives is so specific, he gives the guy's name as Josiah. Now, this takes place 350 years later in 2 Kings. This is exactly what takes place. Exactly like what he says, it takes place. It takes place in 2 Kings chapter 23. But he prophesies in the name of the Lord and says, you know, it's going to come a time where they're going to burn the bones of these people on this altar for doing what you're doing. And look at verse 3. And he gave a sign to the same day, excuse me, he gave a sign the same day saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. 
So he says, I'm going to give you a sign that you, so you'll believe that this is going to come to pass. This altar is going to break in half and all the ashes that are in this altar, you've been burning all these fake to these false gods, they're just going to pour out of there. That's a sign. So when he gives this words of the Lord, look at verse 4. And it came to pass when King Jeroboam, the evil king, heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up so that he could not pull it again to him. So this evil king, he hears the man of God speak against his altar and against his sacrifice. He's there at the altar and he, he takes his hand and he says, grab a hold of that man. And as he's reaching out to tell him to grab a hold of that man, God withers up that, that king's hand and he can't even bring it back. His whole arm withers up. This is a great type of the Antichrist. And he, with, his hand withers up. And he can't bring it forth. Boy, you don't want to be messing with God. You know uh. Brother Ronnie, we were joking around in the back. We have a little, you know, we have that little offering bucket in the back. And uh, Brother Ronnie was messing with the check, trying to make sure it didn't fall out. And I said, keep putting your hand in there, brother. It's going to wither up, you know. <laughs> Giving him a hard time. That comes from Brother Packer. When we was, Brother Packer used to have the buckets hanging on the back walls of his church, and that church I grew up in. And Brother, he'd take that offering bucket down to get the offering out of there, and he'd go around and he'd say, hey, put your hand in there and see if God won't wither it up. Amen. Yo, I was a little kid. I no, I really believe God would wither up my hand, and He might. I've read these kind of. I've heard these stories before. I know God works. I don't mess with God. I have a fear of God, and He dried it up so that He could not pull it again in it in again to Him. Verse five: The altar also was rent. Then the altar splits in half, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. So not only does this king's hand dry up right in front of everybody, because there had to be a big crowd around as he's giving the sacrifice. It's the king. There's got to be a big crowd around. But this altar that he's at, it cracks in half and all the ashes just pour out. And the Bible says it's given by the word of the Lord. Now notice again it's saying this wasn't what this man... The man of God didn't come up there and just say this. The man of God is saying what the word of God said. See, He's putting the authority back on the word of God. Guys, I can't stress to you enough... I can't tell you enough that when you're talking to somebody about Jesus Christ, you're talking about any kind of spiritual matters, don't give your opinion. Give the opinion. Give the Word of God. Use the Word of God as the authority, okay? And if they argue with you, say, well, that's what the Word of God says. Well, I don't believe that. Well, believe it or not, that's what God's Word says. So they're not arguing with you. They're not mad at you. They're mad at what God said. That's why you've heard me say sometimes from up here, don't get mad at me. Get mad at God. I'm just telling you what God said. And that man of God there is going by what the word of the Lord was. What's interesting about this is, okay, just keep your hand right here. And you might not even have to turn the page, but go back to chapter 12, verse 33. The very last verse of chapter 12. You might not even have to turn the page. Turn back just a little bit. And and here's this verse. It's talking about Jeroboam. After he set all this up, it says that this evil king, after he set up all these evil sacrifices, so he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the 15th day of the 8th month, even the month in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. And I'm pointing out to you in that verse there, it says, at the day of the month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart. 
So Jeroboam knows that God had said you got to go down to Jerusalem to sacrifice. But what he did is he said, uh, let's ignore what God's word has to say. And I've come, out with, uh, I've come up with these ideas in my own heart. That's Christianity today. The problem with Christianity in America today is they don't want to know what God's word said. They just want to know what their own heart says. I don't believe God would think that. I don't believe God would say that. I don't believe. Well, what does God have to say out of his word? Not out of your own heart. You're devising this stuff in your own heart. And this man of God is following God's words, and he's just given what God's word has to say. And that's what you should do. It's a good, it's a good illustration, guys. Don't be living out of your own heart. And what's amazing to me, though, Jer- King Jeroboam's not the only one that knows God's word. It doesn't surprise me that he devised this in his own heart. It don't, despri- that don't surprise me that a man of God could, uh, somebody could despise, could devise this stuff in their own heart. But what surprises me, so many people followed him. There's crazy people out there, but why are there so many crazy people that all these other people are following this crazy person? That's what scared me about America. It's not that Obama could get voted in. It's not that Obama wanted to run for office. It's that there's all these people that want to vote him into office. Yeah, I believe there's people like Obama through a country, but is there that really that many people that want to vote him in, you know? I'd hear the crickets, it's so quiet in here. That's all right, verse 6. Go back to 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 6. I'm starting to meddle, aren't I? I'm starting to meddle around in people's lives preaching about that stuff. Verse verse 6. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, back in 13, verse 6. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him again, and Became as it was before. So the, the evil king says, uh, uh, Do something to God. Ask God to do something for me. My hand is withered up. I can't move it. So the man of God, in his graciousness, asked the Lord, Lord, heal him up. And the, man, the evil uh, king's hand became whole again to where he could use it. So let's see what happens now in verse 7. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. He wants to reward this guy for healing up his hand. A true man of God, a true man of God doesn't receive a reward. A true man of God doesn't need a reward. A true man of God doesn't need to stand on TV and keep begging for money. (laughs) You don't need, a true man of God doesn't need to do that. If God's in a work, he'll give you the money. And if you you have somebody who keeps talking about money and talking about money and talking about money, that tells me that God's not in it because God would give you the money. Amen, I've seen it. I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, verse 8, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread nor drink water nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So God has already told this man of God through the words that he says, I don't want you to... Eat any bread when you get down to Bethel. I don't want you drinking any water when you get down to Bethel. I want you to go down. I want you to say exactly what I have to say. And I want you to say it. And then I want you to get out of there. But don't go back the way you came. Go back another way. So I guess what God's doing, God's watching out for his man of God. Say, if you go back the same way you came, they're going to be looking for you. They're going to kill you. So you go back another way. So this man of God says, I can't take a reward from thee. I can't even, if you was to offer me half your kingdom, I can't take it. I've got to leave. God's told me. See, he's following the words of the Lord. You see, what I, you see the point I'm making over and over again? He knows exactly 
He knows exactly what God said, and he's following exactly what God told him to do. You've got the same advantage. Guys, y'all know exactly what God said, and you know exactly what God expects out of you. All right? That's pretty easy preaching. It's pretty easy to amen something like that. So verse 10, so he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. That's a great beginning. In verse, uh, chapter 13, that's a great story. And the man of God is victorious. But I've told you a hundred times in this church, and I'm going to tell you a hundred times more as long as I'm preaching in this church and behind this pulpit. It's never, ever, ever about the way it begins. It's the way it ends. It's never about the way it begins. It's always about the way it ends. You might have a sorry, no good beginning, but don't worry, it's going to have a good ending if you know Jesus Christ. And if you have a really, really good beginning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you might have a bad ending. You can start out right with the Lord. And I know some brothers and sisters in Christ that started out right with the Lord, on fire for the Lord, doing everything right for the Lord. And now I don't know where they're at. They're not anywhere near the Lord. They got a bad ending. And I'm telling you, it's not the way it begins, it's how it ends. And if you've ever watched the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It could be the best movie in the world, but if it has a bad ending, it's a bad movie. Amen, Amen, brother. Some of y'all watching some movies out there. Verse 11. Verse 11. Now therefore, now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. The words which he had spoken unto the king, then they told also to their father. The words which he spoke to the king was God's words, guys. Remember? Okay, not, not his own. That's the words which he spoke was the God's words. Verse 12. And their father, this old prophet, their father said unto them, What way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. There's a great truth in this. When you start doing something really amazing for the Lord, and you start really doing a great work for the Lord, there's going to be some backslidden Christians that are going to start trying to come around and jump on the bandwagon. And that's what this old prophet's doing. This old prophet from Bethel, he's in Bethel. God didn't have to send this man from a far away. God could have raised this man right there and had him do that. But he's not right with God. He's been letting this go on. So this old prophet of Bethel, he's not right with God. But he sees that there is a man of God that's right with the Lord, and he wants to go and cuddle up to this guy. He wants to start riding the coattails. He wants to get on the bandwagon. And you have that go on a lot when you get to really doing something for the Lord. You're going to have Christians come up. You know what I know about these Christians? They start telling you how you could do it better. They weren't nowhere around, but they're going to show them and start telling you how you can do things better and do more for the Lord. This happened here in this church. <laughs> yes, it did. Years ago, this church was in shambles, uh, pews laying everywhere, and uh, they were trying the best way they could to keep this church open. They didn't have a pastor. There was nobody up here helping them. Nothing. Nowhere around. And Brother Tuck came up here and started trying to do a work. Thanks to Carolyn George, they called him up, found Brother Tuck. Well, Brother Tuck got up here, he started having some health problems. So then Brother Tuck called me, and Brother Tuck called me, and I came up and started filling in. And then they ended up calling me as a pastor. So we started doing some work. We started putting, we had another church give us this carpet. We painted the church. We put the molding around the church. We put new fans up here. The lights, all these are new lights. We painted the church. I mean, uh, Sister Carolyn George can tell you what this church looked like. Brother Ramey can tell you what this church looked like 11 years ago. 
It was in shambles. Is that a good testimony? Okay, it's in pretty good shambles. Well, we got, we got to go, and the Lord started moving in the church. We started doing a lot of things for the church. Uh, we started getting some money in the church where we can afford to put lights up, and the Lord started really moving in the church. We got seen some people get saved. We had some revivals, and church started growing, and the, the word kind of got started getting out. Going, guess what happened? Here comes a Southern Baptist missionary that represents the Southern Baptist. See, this is a Southern Baptist church from years ago. And when I first came in, I didn't, want to have any, I didn't want to send any money to the Southern Baptist Convention, not a penny. So I voted and said, let's just get out of the Southern Baptist Convention. Let's not be a part of it. Because we're, we're Baptist. When I say we're Baptist, you understand what that means. Baptist, the whole concept of being a Baptist is you're, you're autonomous. And autonomous means that we're, we operate separately. Nobody comes in here and tells us what to do. And I don't go down to pretty... First Baptist and tell pretty First Baptist what to do. And I don't go to Hamilton and tell them how to run their Baptist church. And they don't come here and tell me how to run my Baptist church. And they like it that way. And I like it that way. That's what makes us unique as Baptists. We don't have a governing body over us. Y'all can do what y'all want to do in this church. And people have to leave us alone because we're autonomous. Well, the Southern Baptist Convention gets set up. And then you have them trying to tell you what to do and the literature they want you to use and all that stuff. Now, if you want to be in the Southern Baptist Convention, that's your right, brother and sister. But we voted as a church here. We didn't want to be a part of that. Just because we didn't want to send our money there. They haven't helped out this church a lick for years and years and years. And as soon as this church started growing, as soon as this church started getting a name, what happened? They showed up. Well, that brother showed up and he said, well, I see you got a good work going here. I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes uh, well, I wanted to come up here and speak. And I said, well, I don't know if you, brother, we voted out of the Southern Baptist Convention. We're not part of Southern Baptist Convention. You know what he told me to my face? I'll revoke your vote. No, that's the that's truth. That's a God honest truth. The Lord knows I'm telling you. I'll revoke your vote. And with my temper, the way my temper can be, I didn't lose my temper. Praise the Lord. I laughed at him. I said, Brother, you can't revoke our vote. We're Baptist. And he just looked at me. We're Baptist, brother. If we wanted to vote to tear this church down, you can't do nothing about it. We're Baptist. We do what we want to do. That's why I'm a Baptist. One of the reasons why I'm a Baptist. You can't revoke our vote. And he just looked at me. I said, now listen. If you want to give, I'll give you an opportunity. If you want to get up here and I'll give you 10 minutes, you'll get up here and tell us why we need to be back in the Southern Baptist Convention. All the things you can do for us in the Southern Baptist Convention. I'll give you the opportunity. I try to be gracious. I'll give you the opportunity to come up here and present your work. He goes, no, it sounds like you already made your mind up. Okay. And he sat, through, he sat in the back through the whole service. And, after, and when the service was over, he shook my hand, he left. I've never seen him again. Not, eight, nine years later. <laughs> Where was he when there was no pastor in this church? Where was he when the church was in shambles? What was he when these poor brothers and sisters in Christ were out here trying to do the best they could do to keep this church open? He was nowhere to be found. But as soon as he heard that God was moving in a church, he wanted to show up and put his finger in it. And we kind of turned him around and <laughs> gave him the boot. Because we're Baptists. You can't tell us what to do. We're Baptists. And if you don't understand what I mean about being a Baptist is, because we went through the whole Baptist distinctives years ago in this church, look it up. You could probably Google it up. But one of the main themes of being a Baptist is we're autonomous. And that means we're separate from... Pardon me? 
Brother, I can't speak for what he wanted. I don't know if he want. I don't think he wanted credit. I just think he wanted to come down here and see if he can get a little bit of this. Because see, he knew. Hey, now they got some money to give to us. I don't know that either. But I know when something doesn't make sense, there's a buck in it. Somebody's trying to make money. And their father said to him, which way went he? See, he doesn't want to have nothing to do with God. He's not helping God out. But as soon as the man of God shows up, this old prophet said, hey, where's he at? I want to go talk to this old guy. Verse 13, and he said to his son, saddle me up the ass. So they saddled him the ass and he rode thereon. And he went after the man of God. And he found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. This young man of God, this great man of God, he's found sitting under an oak tree. There's a great, there's a great story in that. There's a great illustration in that. If this young man of God that had done so much for God, if he wouldn't have been found sitting around, that guy would have never found him. Idleness. 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 Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Guys, as Christians, we don't need to be getting idle. We need to stay busy. As soon as we start slowing down and start sitting around, because it said he found him sitting under the oak tree, see that? As soon as we get sitting down and start relaxing and think we've done something great for God, then that's when the troubles are going to start coming up. The devil's going to start showing up. Because idle hands are the devil's workshop. I believe that with all my heart. Some of the biggest trouble I've ever got to is me just sitting around trying to think of something to do and got myself into a lot of trouble. Idleness, idleness. And found him sitting there. Verse 15, then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. So the old prophet says, Come on, come eat bread with me. Verse 16, and he said, The young man said, I may not return with thee, nor go in on with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, by whose word? The word of the Lord. He knows God's words. And he's saying, hey, God's done told me, thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. So he tells the old prophet, hey, I would go with you, but I can't go. God's word tells me not to do that. I'm not going. Now look at verse 18. This is my sermon here. <laughs> this is it. This is what y'all, I want y'all to hear this morning. And he said unto him, the old prophet said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. Hey, I'm a man of God just like you're a man of God. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord. Hey, I'm a prophet just like you're a prophet. I'm a man of God just like you're a man of God. And guess what? An angel came to me and spoke to me. What did this angel say? The angel said, bring him back with thee into thine house. That he may eat bread and drink water. And but he lied unto him. But he lied unto him. This old prophet says, hey man, I'm a, I'm a man of God just like you're a man of God. But see, I had this special vision. I have something that you haven't had yet, which is this angel from God came to me and he said... Come take that young man and bring him back so he can eat with you. But the Bible says he was lying. Verse 19. Verse 19. So he went back. The young man went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. 
The truth is, guys, you don't ever, ever want to take the preacher's word over God's word. Amen. You don't ever want to take the preacher's word over God's word. Amen. I don't care if it's this preacher or your mom or grandma's preacher or what preacher it is. Don't ever take the preacher's word over God's word. Amen. Why, Brother Keegan? Because he will lie to you. Amen. Listen to me. Y'all, y'all, a lot of y'all will believe this. I, Brother Keegan, will lie to you. Amen. <laughs> but God's word will never lie to you. Amen. You don't think I've been wrong in my life? You don't think I've been wrong while I've been preaching up here? Amen. Amen. You, think I've all, you think I'm always walking around right with God? You think I wake up every morning singing, Oh, glory to God. Sometimes I wake up and just throw something across the room. I hate life. You know? God, get me out of here, you know. It's like that old joke where the, the man wakes up in the morning and he's telling his wife, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to church. Don't make me go to church. And the wife says, you've got to go to church. You're the pastor. You know? <laughs> Luckily, my wife hadn't had to do that to me yet. But there's times I wake up and I don't want to go to church. You know? Don't ever take the preacher's word over God's word. Amen. And that's exactly what he did. Guys, I want to show you something, too, about this. It says that he said an angel spake to him. He had a special vision. And there's Christians that have done, to me, done that to me. Called me up on the phone or something. God told me something that I need to tell you. Well, why didn't God just come talk to me? Well, you're having trouble in your life. Well, no, actually, right now, this is one of the few times you've called me in my life that there's no troubles in my life. Well, God told me you're having troubles in your life. They're about, everything's about to be okay. Well, actually... Everything is okay already right now. Pretty amazing. You're lying to me. If God wanted to talk to me, He knows where I live. Amen. He knows exactly where I'm at. He can come talk to me. Don't ever take a preacher's word over God's word. Amen. And I don't care if they're telling you they're getting a vision or they had an angel show up in their room and an angel told them this. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. Keep your hand here. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. This is very, very important. Galatians chapter 1. The Bible's real, real particular about this. Turn to Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. The Bible's real particular about this, and uh, it tells you straight up what you should do and not do about this kind of stuff. And there's so many people who get fooled by this stuff. Oh, well, that's what my pastor said. Well, who cares what your pastor said? What does the God, word of God say? Who cares what the Watchtower Society said? What does the Bible say? Who cares what somebody had somebody, I had a vision, or an angel came and talked to me. I don't care what some stupid angel said. What does God's word have to say? Oh, Brother Keegan, you mean you're taking the word of God over somebody seeing an angel? Yeah, you can bet your bottom dollar I am. And I'm about to read it to you. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul talks about this. I marvel, Paul says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. There's another gospel running around, guys. There's another gospel people are preaching. But look at verse 7, which is not another. There's not another gospel. There's only one true gospel. 
other words, gospel means good news. There's only one, one true good news from God. That's Jesus Christ died for your sins, and if you'll receive Him as your Lord and Savior, you'll be saved, you'll get to go to heaven, and you're saved for eternity. That's the good news. You're a sinner that needs a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. He died for you. Accept Him, you'll be saved, you'll get to go to heaven. That's the good news. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried on the third day. He rose again. That's the gospel. That's the good news. There's not another, which he says, verse 7, which is not another, but there, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Somebody's perverting the gospel of Christ. Somebody's trying to add in their little works. Somebody's trying to take some things away. Somebody's trying to say, well, Jesus wasn't the Son of God. Jesus really didn't bury. Jesus really didn't come up from the grave. No, that's a perversion of the gospel. You've got to believe that he was buried, he rose the day, again on the third day, he's in heaven forevermore, he's alive when you call on him. Amen. Why is it so important to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because when you're praying for Jesus to save you, you've got to believe he can hear you to save you. Amen. You're not praying to a man that's a philosophy or some man that lived 2,000 years ago, you're praying to a man that can hear every word you're saying today. Amen. There's a perverted gospel. But look, look, this is the verse 8, it's the one I want to show you. But though we, that's Paul, but though we, that's Brother Keegan, but though we or an angel from heaven, an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you that which we, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul goes so far as to say, if I preach another gospel unto you, let me be accursed. He said, if an angel shows up and tries to preach to you another gospel, let that angel be accursed. Amen. When has that ever happened in history? You know what the Mormons teach? That Joseph Smith got an, an angel named Moroni show up to him and give him these golden tablets. And that's where they get the, the Book of Mormon. Let that angel be accursed. Amen. Amen. That's not an angel. That, is, that angel is preaching another gospel. It's a cursed angel. It, he might have, Joseph Smith, 1830, 1840, he might have really sent an angel. And the angel might have really gave him some golden tablets. But it's an accursed angel. Because that's a different gospel than the one we preach. You know who else had an angel show up to him and give him some words? Muhammad. Muhammad claimed he had a 600-winged angel named Gabriel show up to him and give him... All these words that you're reading in the Hadith and in the Quran. Accursed! <laughs> Amen! Guys, the Bible straightens up all the mess you're seeing on TV. You're just not reading the Bible, see? Let him be accursed. You're in, second, look, you're, you're in Galatians, turn a couple of pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse, verse 14, verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. And then we'll move on. We'll close this up. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. Don't be fooled, man. Don't be fooled, guys. Don't be fooled. People are going to fool you. I, said, I had a vision. And God gave me a vision. And God, an angel showed up to me. What does the Bible have to say? Forget what somebody... What does the Bible have to say? Look at verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. How are they doing that? And no marvel, verse 14, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. That's why I won't argue with the Mormon. Yeah, maybe Joseph Smith did have an angel show up. 
but it was the devil. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen. It's a devil. Verse fifteen. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, Satan has his own ministers, also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Ministers of righteousness. See, they look like good people. They look like they're doing good works. Turn back to First Kings chapter thirteen. What's the great truth about all this? I don't care. How old, how respected, how kind, how gentle, how nice, how sweet, how godly, how smart, how intelligent, how educated, how spirit-filled. Never, ever take a preacher's words over God's words. Amen. And you, some of y'all have gotten fooled over the years. And Brother Matt Lowry can tell you, he sit in a co- class where he's had a college professor, educated college professor, teach him something that was going against God's words. And that man right there decided, I'm not going to listen to that college professor. I'm going to listen to what God's words have to say. You've got to make this, this choice right now, guys. It's important. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 13. Don't ever take a preacher's words over God's words. Is it wrong to eat bread and drink water? No. It's not wrong to eat bread or drink water. Listen to me. Satan... Is so subtle. He can make you do the right thing at the wrong time. He can make you do the right thing at the wrong time. That's how subtle he is. It might not always be the right time to witness to somebody about Jesus Christ. Pray about it. Say, Lord, should I open my mouth? Should I invite them to church? Should I tell them about Jesus Christ? And sometimes the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, will speak to you and say, no, no, don't do it. Don't. It's not the right time. But Satan's so subtle, he can get in there and make you do the right thing at the wrong time. That's exactly what this man did. What's going to happen to him, Brother Keegan? Let's read on. Verse 20. And it came to pass, 1 Kings 13, 20, and it came to pass as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. Now, this is scary. What that says is that God's about to speak to this young man through the old prophet that just lied to him. <laughs> woo Verse 21, and he cried, the old prophet cried unto the man of God that came from Judah and saying, Thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, has not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and has eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water, thy carcass shall not come into the sepulcher of thy fathers. Hmm. Here he is, he's doing what he thinks is right. He's listened to this man of God that's told him that God through an angel has told him to come back. So he goes back to eat bread and water. There's nothing wrong with eating bread and water. And he comes back, he sits at the table, he's sitting around and he's having a good time. And all of a sudden the Lord speaks to that prophet and said, you're going to die because you didn't do what I told you to do. God uses the old prophet to tell him he's going to die. That puzzled me for years. <laughs> Like, God, why would you use that old prophet to speak? What? That old prophet's a liar. Your own words cause him a liar. The great truth is, and uh, Brother Hoffman has it in a note in his Bible, which is, I couldn't say it any better. It's simply this. The truth is the truth no matter who says it. And a lie is a lie no matter who says it. I'll say that again. The truth is the truth no matter who says it. Amen. 
And a lie is a lie no matter who says it. Amen. You know, a, bro a broken clock is right twice a day. Amen. If that clock on the back of that wall, the batteries run out and it breaks down, it's going to be right twice a day. Amen. And it's broken as broken can be. You know, some sorry sinner might have the truth in them. And some godly, dedicated preacher might have a lie in him. But the truth's the truth no matter where you're getting it and the lie's a lie no matter where you're getting it. What happens to this man of God? Let's keep on reading verse 23. And it came to pass that after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he settled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. So the old prophet saddles that young prophet up, puts him on an ass and looks at verse 24. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way. And the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. So a young man gets on his ass and the old man loads him up, gets his ass ready, he heads back on the way. All he had done, all he had done is just drink some bread and water. But that's exactly what God told him not to do. He gets on his ass and a lion roars and comes out and kills him. And his body gets thrown out there. And the jackass, it just stays right there with the body. And the lion stays right there with the body. I think the illustration there is that there's two natures to every believer. You got the old nature, which is represented by that ass. And you got the new nature, which is represented by that lion. And then you got your carcass, which is represented by your body. And when you don't do what God wants you to do, He might destroy you. And throw your carcass over to the side. Now you're, you're standing as a son of God. Your destination is going to heaven. That hasn't changed. But what you're doing here on this earth, that can change in the moment and twinkling of an eye. Amen. I don't care if you're the most godly, dedicated Christian. If you do something God doesn't like, he can reach down and say, I'm done with you. And I've seen it happen. I've seen God take a good preacher and just take him and put him on a shelf. I'm done with you. I'm, I'm, not, putting, I'm not putting up with it. I've got one of the best books on the King James Bible written at home, and I, I know the guy that goes to that pastor's church that wrote this book, and the pastor had a heart attack. And he wrote this book, and the pastor had a heart attack, and that pastor told my friend, which is another preacher, he said, when I had my heart attack, he, was walking, he said, I was walking across the road. When I had my heart attack, he goes, I knew exactly why God gave me a heart attack. When I hit the ground and started clutching my chest, he says, I knew exactly why God was giving me a heart attack. Now, he didn't tell my friend why. <laughs> he didn't tell my friend why, but he said, I know why. And it was between me and God. God can destroy you. Amen. Know you not, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, know you not that your body is the temple of God. Amen. And if you do something to defile this body, Paul says, he will destroy you. Amen. That lion is living in you with that old jackass. And if you let that jackass get enough of you, he'll just come and kill this old flesh and just be done with you. I think that's the top is being That's the illustration going on there. All this happened to this poor young man. It did so much for God. All this happened because he simply took a preacher's word over God's word. He simply took somebody else's word over God's word. And God took him out. What about the old prophet? Look at verse 25. 
And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. <laughs> he says, uh, what happened? Yeah, that, that, old, that, that man of God that came here and that withered up the, uh, Jeroboam's hand and the altar split, he's laying out there dead and there's a lion there with him and there's a jackass laying right there with him and they're not moving. They're just sitting right there and it's, his body's laying right there. And that old prophet says, why well, by golly, that's the man of God that disobeyed God's word. You idiot, he disobeyed because you lied to him. <laughs> you, you're the one that lied to him. You see what it's showing you there? He's not taking responsibility for being a liar. He doesn't say, oh, I'm the one that lied to him and had him do No. Look, he says, it is the man of God who, which, who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord which he spake unto him. Yeah, you big dummy, because you lied to him. He was on his way doing what God told him to do and you showed up and lied to him and told him an angel. Told you to come back. He never takes responsibility, ever, for lying. There's going to be some Christians do some mean things to you guys. And I've had some Christians lie about me. I've had some Christians tell some of the most wicked, nasty, evil things about me, lies about me. And they've never come and apologized to me, not one of them. You've got to let it go. You're going to have to just learn to forgive them. That's what Jesus taught us. So don't be expecting to get a phone call from that Christian or brother or sister in Christ at church that lied about you. Don't expect to get that call. You're not going to get it. Because nine times out of ten, they're never going to admit it. But God knows the truth, amen. amen. You, let it, you better let it go. Notice what happens in verse 27. And he spake to his son, saying, Saddle me the ass. And they saddled him, and he went and found his carcass. Cast in the way. And the ass and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion had not eaten the carcass nor torn the ass. There's a lion. There's a jackass. There's the God laying there dead. They're not moving. They're, the lion's not even eating the jackass or the carcass. God's making sure everybody knows this is got God done. God's making sure everybody knows this is something God's doing. That's something strange going on there. So when you see something strange going on in the weather, you see something strange going on in your life, you better look to God to see if he's not working. So, oh, it was a miracle. It was supernatural. No, it was God. It wasn't Mother Nature. It was God. Mm. Man, we need to wake up in this country. Amen, we need to wake up in this country. He's acting, this, the, the, the lion's acting strange. The jackass is acting strange because God's making them act strange. He's making a point. Verse 29, and the prophet took up the carcass of the man of God and laid it upon the ass and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid his carcass in his own grave and they mourned over him saying, Alas, alas, my brother. And it came to pass after he had buried him that he spake to his son saying, When I'm dead, then bury me in the sepulcher wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. And it did come to pass. But he cried out, Alas, alas, my brother. How many preachers have destroyed a young, creature, a young Christian's life by telling them a lie? A lot. 
How many professors, how many teachers, how many moms and dads and grandmothers and grandfathers have destroyed a young Christian's life by telling them a lie? A lot. Guys, we need to be careful that we're telling our kids and what we're saying is not a lie and that it is the Word of God. We need to be real careful of that. That when we say, God said this, you better make sure, you, did God really say that? Or are you just repeating what you heard the preacher say? See how important it is to read your book, find out what God really had to say. Don't just take my word for it. Find out what God really had to say. All of this happened simply because he took a preacher's word over God's word. He took the preacher's word over God's word. Hello, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church. Are you sick and tired of this world? Are you sick and tired of this life that you're living? Did you know that God has a free gift for you? It's the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Have you ever received this gift? You know a gift can be offered but not received. You can bow your head and ask Jesus right now to save you and give you his free gift of eternal life. Now you might ask, how do I know he'll give me this free gift? Because I did the same thing, because I bowed my head, knowing I'm a sinner, and asked Him to save me, and He did. And I've never been the same. And this life with Jesus is a thousand times better than anything this world can offer me. Now, we would love to hear from you if you want to contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. Until next time. Casting all your care upon Him.